Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Bye Guys, continuing my interviews with the subjects of my book, Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. And I'm so happy to see my friend Austin Miller here for the second time on Two Bye Guys and the third or fourth or fifth time that we've Zoomed together <laughs> over the past few years. Welcome to Two Bye Guys, Austin. Hi. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Yes, it's very nice to see you again. Um, one of the few people I've from the book who I've actually met in person. We had a lovely lunch a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Now, wow, it was probably yeah. a while ago. Now, <laughs> I can't. I can't keep track of time. But uh, lovely, lovely to meet you in person, and to just see your whole story evolve. And I think it's one of the most complicated and beautiful stories in the book and there's just so many aspects of it that I've learned a lot from and have been inspired by and but I know it's been challenging and scary and so welcome back uh, thank you for uh being here to talk about it so you've been on the podcast before you were on uh you were on um I actually just looked it up it was Season- April 2021 the so season it was two actually, season finale or something? Was it season that two? sounds right. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was either two or three. Yeah. No, you're right. Oh my god, it was way back in season <laughs> two. It was it was before we knew that this would be a book, I think. Right. It was just like we had done that first interview and I was like, let's let's get some people on the podcast. Um, and so we heard a bit of your story there, but it was kind of compressed. It was one of three stories in a short episode. And so now people can get a little more. And of course, in the book, they're going to get the full story, at least up to a certain point. Right. Um, and in the book, your your pseudonym is Quentin. So so people can connect right. that. Yours, your pseudonym for some reason i chose something that sounded kind of like your real name i didn't do that for everyone right (laughs) um but let's talk about it and what's happened since but i want to ask you first before we get into the story why did you decide to participate in this project in the first place oh that's a good question i i mean one of the main reasons is because i was like early on in the first interview, I was like going through a lot of identity stuff myself. And I was just like, it was a way that I was processing it. And I tend to process things very um, interactively with people. And I'm not one to go away to a little cabin and come away and say, here I am. <laughs> it's more mm-hmm. of this conversation. And, and so for me, this was just a continuation of that. Something I was already doing on a smaller level. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to ask you later what you learned from doing that or we'll get it. Well, what, well, let me just ask you now, did, what did you learn by doing it and talking to me about it? Um, I think the discipline of actually putting to words things I'd only just felt inside was really a good thing for me because I was, then I, I was really like, yeah, this really is the way it is. It's not just this fuzzy thing anymore. And mm-hmm then the sort of affirmations that came in from people that listened to the podcast and sent me a a direct message or something like, thanks for your story. And this is my story. And so then I had this ongoing conversation that sort of not only spoke to my story and gave some sort of 
validation to what my experience was, but it also was, it reciprocated that to them as well. So it was a community building thing in a way. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And I've, I've noticed the same thing for myself too. Yeah. Okay. So, um, obviously there's a lot, there's going to be more details in the book, but just to give people a sense of, of your story, tell me about your buy journey, how, like the brief version, how you realized it. And, and then also you married your wife relatively young. So how did it all intersect with meeting your, your wife and your relationship? Mm. Yeah. To put that in a nutshell is a little, a little difficult, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I was raised in a Mennonite household, which is, it was a conservative Mennonite. So a very sort of a religious subculture that sort of is based in Christianity. And um, it was a very good childhood. I was a missionary kid. So I wasn't like in the sort of little Mennonite communities for the first, I mean, I was for the first 10 years of my life, but then I moved um, to um, with my parents to a, uh, mission school. And so it was very remote. I didn't really have cultural models for my sexuality at all. So I just experienced what I experienced. I was attracted to boys. I was attracted to girls. And I think the first I, I came to that realization was when, I mean, 10, 11, 12 even. And because of the culture I grew up in, there was just sort of this understanding that, okay, this is acceptable. This attraction to girls and this attraction to boys is not acceptable. So I just, Mm -hmm. I just sort of didn't even make a conscious decision. I just lived my life in that trajectory. And so, so it was natural then once I, um, yeah, it was interesting because I was, I was a very, spiritually attuned kid and I would had these experiences with spirit or God or whatever you want to call it that really resonated with me and I felt connected to something beyond myself and yet there was this idea within my culture that there was something essentially wrong with me and so I felt like that voice that I heard and the culture I was in was at conflict. And so I spent decades um, trying to reconcile what what that means to me, because because spirituality was a very important part of my life. And mm-hmm. um, and eventually that meant I did leave that um, subculture of of that. And it was that wasn't the only reason either. It was there was other reasons as well. But um, but so I got married in 1998 and that was, um, we were in love and we were young and we were both interested in being missionaries ourselves. So that was, that was a, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a complicated time because I, I look back and I'm like, was this real or wasn't it real? Because since then I, I sort of changed my view of how, of my faith as well as I'm no longer married. 
to mm-hmm. um, my wife. So, um, so I'm like, was that was that real? But I, for me, it, it was very real. It was we loved each other. We have three beautiful sons, and so, um, yeah. And so we were married for about 25 years, um, wow. and. Yeah, and that and our divorce was very recent. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that was um, not in the original podcast, <laughs> and that right. was not something right. that I had seen on the horizon at that time. So, um, there has been a, a second chapter or tenth chapter um, since then, and there's a lot of things in between, but. I was just, I was thinking about this. I had a really close friend pass away recently and I went to the funeral and there was so many people from my childhood on up and, and somebody mentioned like, Oh, isn't it interesting to see people from your past life or your past lives or whatever? And I'm like, well, this is my life. Like I haven't really changed or anything. And my relationships with these people are picking up if they chose to not continue them or I did, it was, I mean, we're still in the same life. And so I just felt this, um, this connection to all of who I was throughout that whole process and not feeling like I need to shed something from this part of my past in order to become something new. Um, Mm. rather I'm building on something that's, that's always been and valuing those things along the way that, that helped me to become who I am. Oh, really interesting. And that's a, I, I love that perspective. Um, and yeah, a lot, a lot has happened since we first spoke and did that first and second interview. I want to, let me ask you about that. Cause it's clearly like fresh and, uh, and still, you know, something going on in your life or, or yeah. I want to ask how you're moving forward too. Yeah. But, but I remember, I want to ask this cause I remember when we first talked on the podcast and and for the book, like you were in that marriage and the idea of leaving it was scary. Um, and how, how did you, um, reconcile that? And like, how do you look at it now, now that you're out of the marriage? Like, how do you look back at how, how difficult it was to confront this with that possibility that, that the marriage couldn't? Mm. Oh, this is, this is a, an interesting question because I mean, when you're in a marriage, you're, you're two separate people, but sort of in the, in the, um, Christian narrative that I was taught, you become one. And so, and, and I think there's a tendency, and I don't think this is what is meant by becoming one within the Christian tradition, but people lose their sense of self and they end up deferring to each other. And I know I did that in my marriage. So I was, when I, when I think a lot of the fear of that ending was who am I without her? Mm -hmm. And so that's been a real journey, which is it's, it's been exciting because I, I all of a sudden realized that, Oh, there's these parts of me that I've sort of pushed down just out of deference to her. And it was because I loved her and because I was committed to her. Um, but 
nonetheless, there was a part of myself that I, that I said, okay, well, this can be put to the side. And all of a sudden there there's, we're no longer together. And I, and I'm even thinking about another relationship. I'm like, well, I can define how it looks. Like I can say what I want and I can. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, so that, that in, in a way is a bit of a, a freedom. Um, the other thing that's, that's kind of difficult is, I mean, so one thing we, we are, my ex-wife and I, we still run a business together and we're still parenting together. Our, our youngest son is 19 years old, so it's not like there's custody issues or anything, but, um, so we have a lot of contact with each other. And one of the frameworks that we looked at was that we're changing the container of our love because we both really wanted to maintain the friendship. And Mm -hmm. that was a really sort of, uh, for me, that was a, uh, that was really helpful with the transition. Just having a framework to say, okay, this is not a failure of a marriage this is a successful marriage yeah and we're not failures of people um i think i think the narrative that i grew up with was that if you if somebody got divorced in a marriage then um it's a failed marriage right and and so and that's reinforced by culture with like your silver anniversary and then your gold anniversary (laughs) i mean like it gets uh more and more precious as, as the years go on. And I I understand relationships are more precious and I really value those who've gone before me that have really nurtured their relationships and grown together in love through that time. So, um, I think I got side railed on the question. Um, no, that's okay. Let's, we can talk. Okay. Okay. Let, let me ask you something. And there's, there's a lot to talk about, but I, I want to say like, talking to you over these years has really helped evolve my thinking on this too. And, and it's also, I think I quoted Dan Savage in the book. He talks about how we look at relationships, like the only measure of success is, does it last until one of you dies? And that, why is that the measure of success? There's Mm. so many people sticking it out when it's not healthy or good for them. And is that, actually successful and and how can we look at you know what a relationship is however long it lasts in its current form and you know yours isn't over it just changed the the container changed as you said yeah and i just find that beautiful i'm curious though like since since i last saw you because i actually when we met in person i met uh your wife also you had already decided you were going to split, but I could clearly see a lot of love mm, between you. Yeah. Um, it was quite special yeah. to see you actually yeah. in, in such an unusual <laughs> way, you know, unusual circumstances. Right, right. What's it been like your relationship since you've decided to split? Like, how do you, I mean, it must be tricky, but I'm not sure yeah, how. Yeah. I. What's I, it been like? So I think what we've done is we've, we no longer process things with each other emotionally. So, I mean, even though we're friends, I feel the fact that we were married 
and that there's a necessary distance. And so as we're processing, I think each of us comes up with sort of a narrative that makes sense of, of the past. And those narratives aren't going to necessarily line up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so we each are sort of on this healing journey and I've, I've seen that in her and I, I celebrate that. And I, I mean, and there's, I mean, steps that she's, she's taking that just give me a lot of joy because I'm, I know that she's stepping into a life that is really filling her in a way that didn't happen while we were married. And I was, and I was, yeah, it makes me, it gives me a lot of joy. Um, and there's a part of me though, that wants to control that narrative, like for both of us, but instead of just letting it go and saying, okay, yeah. I mean, I, she may see things a little differently than I, and I may see things a little bit differently than her, but um, it doesn't make one of us right or one of us wrong. It just, for me, that it's just part of that letting go. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and we, I mean, this coming Christmas will be the first Christmas that like I'll be visiting her house with the kids and it will be a little bit interesting. Mm -hmm. um so i it's i think there's this story in my head of how i want us to appear a certain way like this successful divorce story (laughs) um i i realize that's not going to be the truth i mean that's not going to be how it is necessarily and that if i try to fit myself into that story um it's not going to go well I think I, and I, and I'll, I won't be listening to myself, but if I just sort of am in integrity with myself, as I enter into the relationship with her, with the kids, um, I feel like that's all I can do. Um, and, and to force a narrative is not, is not going to be helpful. Right. It reminds me a lot of like work I'm doing for myself of like (laughs) wanting to, wanting to control other people and control the narrative of a relationship. And And, and you can't, you know, there's clearly an awareness, like you, you can't really control someone else or their view of things. You can only show up with your best energy and your most authentic self. And yeah, like in some ways, a really, a, an intimate relationship is, are we telling the same story? Like that's what, what it is. How have you changed over the last couple of years? Like just for you, you know, you yourself, Austin, mm. uh, how have you grown in the last <laughs> couple of years? That's interesting. So what kind of precipitated our separation was like me breaking agreements within our marriage. And, and for me, that was interactions with other men and, I think that for me was like, it was just heartbreaking in that I knew there was this train wreck coming of, of the, the fallout. Cause I knew that I wasn't going to hide it. I knew that mm-hmm. I would have to sort of have this conversation with uh, my wife at the time. And, and I knew that, there was a, a real likelihood that our marriage wouldn't 
survive. And so I think what, what I learned was, I mean, part of my whole learning process was like, I'm not in control. Like I just need to, I, I just let go of the control aspect, just like I was talking earlier and, and allow what is to be. And, and that in so many different aspects of life, that's just been what keeps, keeps coming up and keeps coming up. It's, it's a lesson that can take a lifetime to yeah, learn. Yeah. I think it's always, always and, evolving and changing. And also I've noticed that one of the, one of the big things I've learned is that of the value of my friendships. So being in a heteronormative marriage that was monogamous for 25 years I channeled my, so I had, I mean, obviously I had attraction to men during that time and there was some, (laughs) some torment there or whatever, not really torment, but it was, it was just this suppression of that part of myself. Um, But what I, how I channeled that is I developed really close, intimate relationships with other men that were friendships. And a lot of those were straight men. It wasn't like I was like, like I had no interactions with sort of queer community per se. And so if it was, if it was not a straight man, it was by accident because that was the world I was walking in and and they Mm -hmm. were closeted. (laughs) So, um, and so I, I developed a way of uh, just a way of being that sort of fostered friendships. And I found that once I started, once I was, divorced and in this world where there was, I mean, I was interacting with a lot more queer men. I realized that there was like, this was unusual within the communities Uh I was in. Like there was, there was this expectation of sex, like Mm. just like after your first meeting or something. And for me, I was very much um, like, I really enjoy the relationship and friendship side of things and i mean sex uh-huh. is great but i think a friendship can last so much longer and it can it can benefit you in so many ways that um that so so then i ha- i i maintained a lot of those friendships and so i came into into this new world and it wasn't that new because i already had this really close friend i meet with every sunday morning i have like really close friends uh, in my circles. So, so yeah, that, that for me was, it was, I think that wasn't something I learned, but it was something that I really felt gratitude for when I saw that it was, it was missing. And I really try to foster that in the communities I work with now. Huh. That is really interesting that like you almost, it sounds to me like you almost kind of got very comfortable having intimate relationships, friendships, but that didn't involve sex, but that like, now, now that that's possible, there you're you're very comfortable with like friendship, intimacy, intimacy, and friendships, yeah. and people like associate that with with sex sort of automatically, right, right? But that's it's interesting that that's sort of what you were sort of striving for, even in the times when you didn't right. want to have sex or yeah. couldn't, yeah. And I. It wasn't just a total displacement of like sexual attraction because like some of these men that I was really close friends with, I had feelings for 
and some I didn't. Like I became, I, uh-huh. I was able to really develop like close friendships with people that I wasn't sexually attracted to. So it wasn't, it wasn't automatically like, oh, you're sexually attracted to them, so you're going to go try to be their friend. It wasn't really that at all. It was just the whole different parts of of who we were sort of meshed, and we nurtured a friendship. Yeah, interesting. Um, how is your relationship with bisexuality or queerness evolved over time? Like, like think back to the beginning and then all the way through now, like how has your understanding of it or relationship with it evolved? Yeah. Hmm. So initially I had no idea that there was bisexuality. I, I knew there was gay and I knew there was straight and I knew the gay people were going to hell. So that was my initial, <laughs> my initial um, understanding. And I thought because I was attracted to men, I was just gay. And that the attraction to women was just sort of where'd that come from? Um, then I think I was, yeah, I was a little bit sheltered. So I was in my tw- mid I was 30 or more before I really understood, oh, there's bi folks and I would likely fit into that category. And, and for me, I, I was kind of a stalker on some um, online groups, just listening to people's stories and people talking. And, and so for me, that was really valuable back in the day when there was these listservs and you'd get this whole string of emails <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and so that really helped me to realize, Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm bi. Mm-hmm. And then I just really took up that bi-ness like full on. Like I, I'm like, and eventually it was the bi flag and bi colors and by this and by that, which I'm still like, I'm a proud bi man. But I, I typically use the word queer these days because I feel like I'm in a place in the middle that doesn't just revolve around my sexual attraction. Um, and that even my sexual attraction is somewhat fluid and not in flux. And, and for me... Uh, I don't know. I don't need a label as much, but I feel like when you say queer, it just throws this blob of idea into somebody's head that, oh, they're not, they don't fit into that heteronormative space. So that's Uh fine. uh And I, and I, I feel, I feel more comfortable without like this really strong um, label because I feel like, well, I don't know. I feel like sometimes labels can divide as yeah. much as they can unite. I I think that that's a very similar trajectory to a lot of people and like me, me too, in a way, like I feel more like queer fits better. Mm. And I use the word bisexual from my head and from a place of logic and politics and, yeah. you know, po- like the podcast and like, yeah. just like filling up a, a gap and changing perceptions. But for me personally, yeah, like the label this world is the goal, right? Yeah. Like the labels actually, we need them for certain reasons, right. especially right. at first. But yeah, the goal is just be who you are with 
Yeah. No label. Yeah. It's just that that's kind of impossible right now. Right. right. And I, I think for me, the reason I actually came out as bi was basically because I knew that there were people that were closeted, particularly within the culture that I grew up in, that sort of had somewhat severe mental health issues because of their them having to suppress um, that so much and feeling so much shame. Um, right. I think that you asked the question earlier about what has changed or how it has evolved. I think for me, there was so much shame early on. And I, like these days, the shame is not there. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I have, like residual shame about other things, but that's not one of them. So that feels really yeah. good. And that, and that, and I, I don't want to underestimate that because I know that shame can lead to so many issues, uh, mental health issues, depression, the whole work. So, yeah. Yeah. That was my story. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and I mean, it's totally understandable to have all this shame in the world we live in, yeah. but like, you know, you proved and I like a lot of people in the book prove that like it is possible to live in the world you envision and not to be stuck by the right the things we're taught. Like yeah. they we're taught them, but they don't have to be that way. And you, d you do kind of have a choice for your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's beautiful. mentioned something about like your queerness is about more than just sexual attraction or fluidity like what else do you see as part of your queer identity like why do you identify as queer yeah well i don't get super intellectual about it and and into queer theory and all that so it's more of a an approach to the world that doesn't sort of view that res not resists, but really uh, has suspicions of, of binaries that are created in the world. So, um, and, and for me, that has a lot to do with faith and spirituality and these, these sort of rigid black and white that we were always taught. It's, it's like, okay, bringing a question mark to that, um, uh -huh. to that yeah. area of life. And, and also when it comes to gender, like what are these, we have these ideas of what's feminine and what's masculine. So for me, messing with that is part of being queer. Like I, I have a little patience for, for those gender norms that are strictly cultural based and that are promoting violence to people in many, in many instances. So um, I think I think for me, queerness has a lot to do with curiosity and a lot to do with creativity and imagination. Mm. Um, for me, it's if you're living in those spaces, you're 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 queer enough for me. <laughs> mm. I love that answer. I say that a lot that I love someone's answer, but I really <laughs> I really love that answer. <laughs> um, you you kind of mentioned this, anticipating my next question, but let me ask you and see what comes up, like. I, I know from your story in the book that you're a very spiritual person mm. and you, and I think your spirituality has evolved over time. Um, but how, how do you see your spirituality and queerness as related in, if, if in any way? So because the, of the, 
sort of subculture I grew up in, I conflated that with God or the creator. And so I had this long time where I couldn't really embrace the creator at the same time I was embracing myself. Like I, I didn't feel like that that was possible. Mm. And so I feel like once that it took sort of a queer perspective to actually cross that. And, and for a while, for me, it meant totally leaving, not leaving, but, but sort of setting aside Christianity and setting aside like faith practices for a while. And because I, I grew up memorizing large blocks of scripture. I had, um, yeah. And I, I, I learned how to like preach. I learned how to speak. I like, I learned all these, all these things on how to be a very spiritual person um, and how to interpret scripture and all this stuff. But there was always an undercurrent of me that really longed for something that was more mystical. And my experiences of God were very mystical. Like I got baptized and it wasn't really meaningful to me. And so I was like, I'm going to baptize myself. And so one night under the stars, I went down to the dock and I jumped in the water and I had my own baptism. And for me, that was my real baptism. But, but that for me is the queer queerness coming out even way back then. Um, because I was not satisfied with just, okay, this is how we do things. This is the way they are. And then this is how you get to heaven. Like for me, I wanted to experience the presence of the creator throughout. And if I couldn't do that, I couldn't trust the creator in a way that was any meaningful and made any meaning in my life. Um, right. So anyway, so I set it aside for a while and throughout this whole, okay, this is, um, throughout this whole journey, one of the things like around the time of a divorce, I went to a retreat center and I, um, actually, uh, I did mushrooms and uh, like a psychedelic journeys that were facilitated by a therapist. And for me, it, it was about, well, that was a lot about letting go of control again. But one of the other mm. big things that came out of that was a reconnection to Christianity that I wasn't even looking for. <laughs> huh. so, oh, interesting. So I was, I was experiencing this, um, as I was like in this vision state, I, all of a sudden, all these verses I had memorized fell back into my head. And I was like, where is this coming from? I'm not looking for this. And what happened was I began, I saw them in a new light and I, and I'm like, oh, that's what he meant when he said those words. And, and it was just like this, oh, the light bulb was going on. And I was like, okay, this has been used to control people. That wasn't the intent. This is actually, these are words of healing and love and life. And for me, that was a queer happening. Like I didn't ask for it. It was this mystical experience for me. Um, so yeah, that's how queerness um, has a few instances of how I consider myself to be somewhat of a mystic. So, yeah, yeah, that that's beautiful. The like self baptism being the meaningful one, and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, you you haven't read it, but I have a chapter in the book that you'll get to read soon about bisexuality and religion, and que- you know how queerness and religion are related, mm. and 
I'm not making any grand theories, but I did observe from these interviews that religion is often seen as this like monolithic monolithic thing. Like Mm. this is what it is. You follow it. But queer people's perspective on religion is not, uh, is often not throw it all away, but it's take it and make it my own and decide which parts of it fulfill me and resonate and, and, and throw away the other parts that yeah. that don't work. And so that sounds like yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I have a comment on that. Like I I was sitting in my friend's funeral a couple weeks ago and and it was in a it was an evangelical church. It was a service that in the past would have really triggered me. Um just not necessarily the words or anything, but just sort of the trappings and sort of, I would have, I would have felt a little maybe condescending or maybe whatever, but I didn't, I was able to enter into this ritual of grief with everyone there in a way that was so beautiful. And I, and I didn't feel like, okay, well they are on a wrong path and I'm on the right path and this is how it is. No, I felt like the creator, our creator was big enough to contain all of our grieving together. And I, in for the first time in a long time, I really felt a belonging and a connection to that part of my life that I had felt cut off from for so long. And so that was a beautiful way that I, I noticed a shift that had happened within me. And I was able to just embrace that and be in that space and grieve in a way that I, in the past, I would have felt a need to sort of come away and grieve on my own or, or that, Somehow I didn't feel connected, um, but I did feel connected. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, you you also mentioned the the plant medicine and the psychedelic yeah. therapy, which you're not the only person in the book to to do that either. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I what what's changed for you since then? Like, how did that transform your outlook or mm. change your thinking or feeling about anything? So I so. Like the first time I did it, I was like, this is magic. This is what is everybody needs to do. It's going to change your life and everything. And, and as I've, as I've sort of come down from that, I'm like, oh, this is, this could be like religion and it could be a whole power structure and the whole quacks and gurus and all of this in that world as well. So I, I think I, what happened was for me, it was a tool. It was a gateway, but it opened up something that had been churning in me for a long time. And it really turned the key on some intense healing that had sort of happened in my head already, but it just hadn't moved to my body. And, and psilocybin or mushrooms are, they tend to really put you in your body in a, in a way that is really, at least at lower doses, higher doses, they'll shoot you out of the universe or something, but uh, (laughs) yeah. Um, but I'm, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, for me that I, I approach them with caution. Like there's a lot of, um, like I'm, I'm a therapist, so I'm interested in using them for therapeutic uses. And so I'm also very interested in harm reduction and also the integration afterwards, which I think is the most important part. Once you have an experience, because those psychedelic experiences were not unlike 
the experiences at Christian revival meetings where they're preaching and people get into this altered state and they go up to the altar and repent. There's this elevated, almost euphoric state that people get into. And it's, it's, it's a catalyst for change. And, and so one of the keys at those like revival meetings that they used to preach is that we need afterwards, we need to have, um, discipleship but basically discipleship is basically integration so like you have this come to jesus moment but if you don't do anything with it if you don't like process it and integrate it into your life then there's what what use is it you're just going from experience Mm -hmm. to experience to experience so so for Mm -hmm. me i've i little doses here and there of psychedelics but i'm not gonna be making monthly trips to peru for ayahuasca or anything (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. I still want to get to one of those retreats someday. Okay. Um, Call me up. Yeah. We'll we'll go together. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode with Austin. There is a little bit more coming up right here. Stay tuned. But there's also more bonus material on Patreon, 17 minutes or so with Austin. Plus, there's full video of this entire interview, as well as every other interview in this series and hopefully moving forward. It's just $5 to subscribe, and you can find it at patreon.com slash robertbrookscoa. Thanks to those who have already subscribed, and thank you for listening to this podcast here, wherever you're listening to it. Thanks for buying my book and reading it if you already have. I love hearing all the comments. I've been getting lovely messages. And if you're enjoying the book, please leave a review of the book on Amazon or wherever you bought it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And now here is a little bit more with Austin. How does your queerness bring you joy? Mm. Okay, so I will give an example. There was this friend that I made who was originally a hookup. And he became an actual, a a real support for me throughout the whole divorce and afterwards and just the grief that I was going through. And then I started meeting with this other guy. And there was this tension, like, do I keep up this friendship with this guy? Is this other guy going to be jealous? And I had this whole narrative in my head, like this fear that I'm going to have to like give up all these friendships in order to be with this one person. And so when my friend came to visit, um, we ran into this guy at a restaurant. And I was like, oh, crap. So I told him, I told him, I pointed him out and said, said who he was and everything. And then he saw us and he, had, I had told him all about my friend. So he came over and just said hi. And then... Later on in the day, I, I just sent him a text. I said, hey, you want to come over for a little bit? I'll give you a, a more proper introduction. And um, <laughs> so he came over for like a half hour. We sat him on the couch in between us. And we just had a little cuddle pile and oh. introduced him to each other. And it was a very much a just a beautiful connection. And I think for me, touch is so valuable. And... And even, I mean, maybe especially non-sexualized touch, because I, I think, like, I've been around straight men who really appreciate a real 
good hug. And they, they're like, I don't get this. Like, and, and how does this happen? Like, how are you so free with this? And so for me, that was something that was queer and it was a lot of joy and it was, it gave each of us a lot of joy. My, my friend has a new friend now and he's like, Hey, next time we're in town, let's, let's see if he wants to go out for coffee or something. Like it was, it was like, it was a queer way of being because there, what would originally, what the typical narrative that of jealousy, that wasn't, that wasn't even playing into it. We allowed love, which is a queer thing in itself to sort of let love define our connection. So that was that. Yeah. Beautiful. Queerness brings all these new possibilities that might have not always uh, been available under the, in the boxes we live in. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Last question. What are you looking forward to in the future in your life, in any, any area of your life? Oh boy. Um, I didn't expect the question to be that difficult. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really living in the present and the present has been very rich, even though it's been really difficult, just allowing myself to live in the present. I mean, there's future things that I'm looking forward to. Like I'm looking forward to getting my independent licensure as a counselor and looking forward to traveling with my friend and, um, but yeah, I'm enjoying the present. I, I I didn't expect that answer, but I think it's amazing like that, <laughs> that that's what to look forward to is like each present moment. Mm. I mean, it's such a different outlook from, yeah. from where I was a while ago and where a lot of people are of like, you know, certain things are going to fulfill me. Yeah. But that's such a lovely answer of just like, you're, you're living in each moment differently and you're appreciating the present. Mm. Uh, beautiful beautiful note to end on uh thank you so much austin everyone needs to check out the book the the quentin chapter is uh there's there's a lot more details and the trajectory of all this stuff that we talked about and i know that a lot of people are going to identify with a lot of the different points uh you know aspects of your journey so check it out and uh yeah thank you so much for being here again and Mm. being your honest vulnerable self and sharing with us what's changed lately and the new insights you're having uh i i learn a lot every time we talk i i always love talking with you (laughs) yeah cool thank you austin Mm, thank you uh, we'll catch up again soon okay Two Bye Guys is produced and edited by me, Robert Brooks Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. Our music is by Ross Mincer. We are supported by the Gotham, and we are part of the Zencaster Creator Network. Visit patreon.com slash Cohen for bonus content, early access, and exclusive video episodes. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. <laughs>